You are listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for HR and business leaders. We talk about things like leadership, well-being at work, diversity and inclusion, and the future of work. Hello and welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am delighted to share today's guest with you today. His name is Bhushan Sethi and he is the joint global leader at PwC for Global People and Organisational Practice. Now, Bhushan is an award-winning thought leader and media spokesperson on various topics, including the future of work, culture, workforce strategy and diversity and inclusion. He has featured in The Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, CNBC, Yahoo Finance, The New York Times, American Banker and HR Digest. He's a member of the T20 Future of Work Task Force and World Economic Forum Council on Skills and Education, having previously served on the WEF Equality and Inclusion Council. He currently resides in New York City, my favourite city, and has lived and worked in Europe, Asia and the US. Myself and Bhushan cover a lot of topics that are really pertinent to HR and business leaders throughout the world at the moment, so I really hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome, Bhushan, to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you as my guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself to listeners? Thank you, Aoife. I'm delighted to, uh, delighted to be here and I hope everyone's well. Um, I have the privilege of leading PwC's Global People and Organization Practice, which means in plain English, I get to work with businesses all around the world on their most important workforce issues. Brilliant. And what, what would you see as the most important workforce issues right now, conscious that we're in the middle of a global pandemic and the way we work has changed forever. Like there's no two ways about it. We're never going to go back to the way things were previously. What do you see as the biggest challenges at the moment? So the biggest challenges for organizations um, right now is the health and well-being of their people. And it sounds very soft and fluffy, but as we've known at the start of this pandemic in the first quarter of this year, Every firm around the world was focusing on the health and safety of its people, um, about the virus, about how we move to remote work. Now that conversation and and set of actions has moved, as you know, much more to the well-being and the mental health and how are people doing. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I live in New York. We're in the middle of a U.S. election. There's a lot of distractions that people have. There's a lot of fears and anxieties they have around their own job security, their own health the future of their particular country or state or city. So really getting leaders to check in with their people and focus on a, a human conversation around how they're doing, um, listening to people, um, understanding when people need to take breaks, all different aspects of health and well-being for me are the most important topics um, in a global workforce. And I feel in some ways that this conversation sort of started before COVID, but COVID maybe has accelerated things a lot and getting a lot of this well-being on the table for some companies that maybe previously weren't weren't doing it. Is that something that you've seen in the organizations that you work with as well? Yes, I'm very conscious that I sound like an HR professional or an advisor to HR professionals because... We're the people who talk about well-being and mental health and benefits packages. 
um, and psychological safety. But more and more of our business leaders are now talking about this topic because they have to. You cannot live through a pandemic and not talk to people about their physical safety, the safety of their family. You cannot talk to people about having to work in their apartments or their houses remotely, not interacting with any of their former colleagues or customers without, without talking about mental health and without asking if they've taken a break and how they're processing all of this information around us. And so business leaders now um, are talking about this. It's no longer a taboo topic. Um, business leaders are showing a lot of vulnerability in the way that they're saying it's okay to say you're not okay. Um, I was running a session with a number of CEOs last week um, in a forum, and a number of those leaders came first and said, we actually demonstrate our vulnerability now. And we've actually, one of them actually shared that they had had COVID, they had had some challenges around mental health and how they were openly sharing that with their team and how they were processing that. So I do think now is a time um, where leaders are doing that, not just because it's the right authentic thing to do, but it actually drives better productivity and trust in your business with your people and your customers, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about. I mean, I totally agree with everything that you're saying. And I would love to know, like you're saying that it's having an impact on businesses as well. So I'm curious to, to dive into that in a little bit more detail, because going back to what you're saying, there's some people, it, maybe it was a taboo topic that you don't really talk about those things in the workplace. You don't want to be seen as not being able to cope. You don't want to be seen as having any sort of mental health challenges. And now that people can be more vulnerable, more open, what impact is that having on the businesses? So you mentioned about creating a trusting environment, but I presume that there's also like financial implications to that as well. Or, or what are the knock-on implications of creating that type of environment, psychological safety, trust, vulnerability, that kind of thing? Yeah. So, so one of the areas where it manifests itself is in this measurement of productivity. So at the start of the pandemic, this word got thrown around so often by business leaders, by media, to say, actually, remote work is working and we've been productive. CEOs across the country, across industries in the world, many of them actually championed the fact that they had minimized productivity loss. And many of them actually said, we're now more productive if you bake in things like commute time. When we talk about productivity and we, we look at what's sustainable, um, baking in rest, baking in recovery, understanding that we now have more time in our working day and people's working days are extending means that if we don't, if we just measure productivity by the output that you create, how many podcasts you create, how many clients I can meet with, um, you know, how many loans the bankers can book, that's not a good measure because it's just about outputs. And we need to be thinking about outcomes. We need to be thinking about quality and safety and customer experience. And we also need to be thinking about the inputs in terms of how much time it's taken. If it's taking us 17 hours because that's what we work as opposed to eight or nine, and that we're not building in rest and recovery, and we're not taking those breaks because we need that for our own creativity and sanity, then it's not sustainable. So. The next challenge, um, as I see for businesses, is to think about all of their measures and say, what have we learned in the pandemic, health and well-being being one of them, to say, how are we factoring in the mental health, in this example, of your people 
to produce the outcomes that, that you're focusing on for your, for your customers. And when you do that, we may see a reset of some of these measures. And what, what do you see them changing to? So that's it's something that's come up a few times on the podcast is this shift towards outcomes and measuring outcomes and really looking at what's important in a business. So forget about how much time you've spent doing something, adopting more flexible working so that you can work around um, whatever other obligations that you have, but also, you know, you can work at the best time of day that's that's that works best for you essentially. So if you work better in the evening times versus in the morning, but also like not getting away from the mentality of, uh, well, I worked extra two hours on Thursday, so I'm going to take two hours off on Friday, like moving away from that mentality more towards what is it that we're trying to achieve as a business? And what is, what are the things that I need to focus on today, this week, this month, this quarter in order to achieve those things? And as a team moving more towards that, do you, is that something that you see happening or how do we start taking those first steps? Yeah, so, so the really important thing here is it's going to depend on the type of work that you do. If, if we worked in a production environment in a factory and we were relying on each other for inputs and outputs, we all have to be there and it's a synchronous process and we have to be there and we have to be physically in the, in the same place. But as we know, especially for us knowledge workers, not all work is in that way. Um, you can actually create a document, have it reviewed overnight by somebody in a different time zone or somebody who wants to work a different um, flex time, have that reviewed, have that come back to you and it can still be a creative and efficient process. So really understanding um, the work, understanding worker preferences, understanding what they need. And then we come back to the pandemic, as you, as you mentioned, Aoife, um, people want to have the flexibility to be able to help their kids with homeschooling or maybe take a walk and get off of the Zoom calls for a moment um, or, or just take a break and have dinner with their family or their, or their spouse. And so... Factoring into the modern workplace and that, and that being remote now for a large number of us maybe on this call and just and, and, and factoring in kind of worker employees actually leading with this is how I want to work. This is how we understand the outcomes we need to create as a team. How do we best get that done so that we meet the company's objectives and our personal objectives? And I think it just starts with a conversation and a brainstorming around how we're going to break down this work and get it done, just like you would at the start of any new project or new employment. I just, and again, I think the pandemic has forced us to, to question how you and I may work and what our needs are and what our constraints are, are different in this remote workplace. And again, it's incumbent on leaders and employees to, come, to kind of bring that to the table. Yeah, no, it's really interesting points. I suppose I'm thinking of workplaces that haven't necessarily operated in that way previously. Um, you mentioned earlier about creating psychological safety. So I'd love to understand a little bit more around that. So going from a company, not necessarily a toxic environment, but an environment where maybe it's not okay to say that you're not feeling great or you, you're afraid to say to your manager that you're not coping well with the workload as it currently is, or you can't balance between work and life at the moment or something like that, you know, to go from that situation to creating a psychologically safe environment, what would you say are the, the steps towards making that a reality? 
it absolutely needs to start with leadership. Leadership mm. have to model this way. Um, we've seen a lot of very transparent, vulnerable leaders who have been sharing how they're feeling about this remote work experience, how they're feeling when they've had to make a difficult decision that's that's resulted in job losses. Um, and so having leaders model that way with their teams to say, um, we need to have this dialogue. We need to check in with our people. We need to, to ask people how they're doing, not to solve an issue, but just to listen. And whether that's a work issue or a non-work issue, the lines are so blurred today, we have to talk about both. Um, at the start of the, um, after the terrible murder of George Floyd, we had lots of discussions in our own firm and with our clients about systemic racism. And we, we did that because it was on everybody's mind. We then talked a lot more about how do we interact with each other? How do we, um, how do we recognize bias in the workplace? What's the role of bystanders in calling out, um, uh, you know, uh, conscious or unconscious bias? So, so it's really important for leaders um, and, and team members to actually start to create these conversations about uncomfortable topics, whether they're about race, whether they're about social issues, um, whether you're worried about your own job security, your, your own health. Um, so so that, that, that's an important part. And again, leaders, leaders have to model the way um, we all have to participate in team members. But it just starts with the basics. And I hope we did this at the start of our call, but just checking in with each other. With each yeah. other. And even if it's people that are new team members or new clients or new suppliers, um, I've seen that, that meeting etiquette um, work quite effectively when you, sp you spend the first five minutes talking about nothing to do with business and just talking about how are you, where did you travel from, how are your children, um, you know, how is it moving back at home with your parents because a number of people did that at the start of the pandemic. That's a really nice approach and I have heard this, um, the concept of leadership role modeling before and I've seen it in action as well with senior HR leaders talking about their own experiences when someone said, how are you feeling or how are you coping or how are you doing in this scenario? And, um, you know, this, um, this lady, a client of mine said she, she was honest and she said, actually, I'm not coping very well at all. And that in itself, that act in and of itself allowed for other people to say, actually, do you know what? I'm the same. I'm not coping very well. I'm feeling lonely or I'm feeling overwhelmed or whatever it might be. But it gives permission then for other people to share their own experiences. Um, I really liked what you had to say quite early on in the conversation as well about being human at work. And that's really the crux of what we're talking about. It's it's connecting with other people on that human level. And like you say, having those conversations about difficult topics. And, you know, I'd love to know, how did those conversations actually actually go? I mean, it, I'm sure it was, there were some awkward moments, but, you know, what, what has been, what was it like going through that process and what has been the outcome as a result? Yeah, so we're all living in this shared experience um, of working from home, of looking at health data, um, struggling with what does reopening look like for our economies, our states, our cities, um, and then looking at different elements of a societal crisis. So um, the conversations we started to have about race um, at PwC, they actually started pre-pandemic. We, we had 
days of understanding where we really tried to understand what was going on in the US about the race issue. Mm. Um, we had unfortunately had one of our own colleagues, black colleagues, killed in his own apartment um, right. by um, a police officer in Dallas. Um, that was one of a series of events of, of young black men being um, terribly murdered. Um, it was one of our own people. It catalyzed us to really take this seriously. One of the things we did is we started to have conversations across our 55,000 people in our company um, just to understand the lived experience of the black professionals, yeah. whether they were administrative assistants, whether they were uh, tenured partners in our firm, whether they were in tax M&A consulting, whether they traveled, whether they didn't, whether they were urban or suburban. We had the discussions and it was just, it was incredibly humbling to learn from our people their concerns, their fears, their fears for their brothers, their fears for themselves, um, why they don't come on camera um, because of the diffi you know, difficulties in kind of things like managing your hair, uh, all different uh, types of aspects, where they've, where they've experienced casual racism outside the workplace, in the workplace, et cetera. And, so, and then we started that dialogue with lots and lots of clients. Mm. And again, people could look at this and say, talk is cheap. Talk is the starting point. Yeah. And now I see a lot more firms starting to take action around that topic, whether it's setting metrics, training people, embedding it in some of their decision-making processes. But talking about these topics, whether it's an uncomfortable topic about systemic racism or even how people are feeling about the current political situation, because if you think about the US, you're going to have half the population in the US who are going to be unhappy with the result. Yeah. And But the, the role in organizations is just like our political leaders need to do, that a good leader unites people and finds points of intersection and points of um, common purpose that we all need to come, to, uh, come together around. So yes, they were very uncomfortable conversations. They were absolutely necessary. They were humbling. I think we all learned something from it. Um, but again, taking demonstrable action, again, is, is what we're starting to do. And I think the, the corporate world is starting to do um, on the systemic racism issue. And what kind of action are you taking or what, what sort of impact are you seeing from having these conversations? So, so one of the things we're doing at our firm is we're, what we've done is we've set up a faculty um, around systemic racism, specifically in the US, and we've said, we actually want to start tackling this to tackle some of the root causes, whether they be judicial system, police training, access to education, nutrition. So things far beyond what business leaders can do because the business leaders can work in their own organizations and look at representation and look at training, and look at the decisions they make. But as we know around this topic, it, there's so much that happens before people come to the workplace. Yeah. So we've set up this, um, this faculty and... Um, we've taken 30 of our people and put them full-time on this. And our clients have also identified people in their organizations that they're seconding in, some for six months, some for 12 months. And we're starting to, to tackle this and work with others to say, how can we influence a policymaker? How can we um, help with law enforcement? How can we change some of this stuff? And this is not, for some people, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be very contentious. Yeah. Um, because you're really challenging the psyche and you're challenging the political agenda. And um, we have to have uh, uncomfortable conversations about 
um, racial equity and systemic racism and white privilege. But um, we're, we're trying to mobilize a bunch of people that feel incredibly passionate about that, who are across all generations and all races and, yeah. uh, and genders. And so, so that's the, that's the attempt that we're, that we're, that we're making. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a wonderful initiative and it's it's great that it's not, like you're saying, it's not just focusing on businesses, it's focusing on the fundamentals of all aspects of society and, and how we get to this situation, you know, and, and the, the knock-on impacts that it has, like things like nutrition and, and stuff like that. So it's brilliant that, that, that's, um, that that's happening. Um, coming back around to workplace at the moment, the impact of covid and what you see, I suppose, as the future, like what, what does what does the future of work look like as as we're looking? And I suppose the the difficulty is that we can't really plan that much in advance. In Ireland at the moment, we're in the middle of a, a kind of a second big lockdown, and um, we're in like week two or week three at the moment. And um, I know the UK are about to go into another lockdown as well. You mentioned in in the states that a lot of the the offices are closed there as well. So. Like what? What does the future hold? Yeah, so uh, there's there's going to be multiple futures. There was there were multiple futures pre-pandemic. There's going to be multiple futures that are going to be different for different sectors. Um, if folks are working in the transportation or entertainment or parts of consumer retail, those businesses are going to be challenged until we have a vaccine at scale. And we yeah. really don't know how consumer behaviors might change if we'll ever travel the way we used to in for business or if we're ever going to be comfortable enough with vacationing the way that we did or mass gathering sports stadiums in our is that or in or in theaters um and is our entertainment going to have to be changed in a different way so there is going to be a, a bit of a sector story around this um as we look to the as we look to the next year um what many companies are saying is what are the moves we can then take now that are going to be no regrets and things that are going to be helpful in the future? So if we start reskilling our people so they can build more digital skills because we're investing more in digital to access our customers and to provide our employees better tools for their remote work, that's a no regrets skill. Yeah. We've talked about well-being. That's a no regrets move if we can get everyone to truly embed rest and recovery in their leadership style and in the daily work they create um, measures. If we, if we can really bake in productivity to focus on the outcomes and bake in the fact that if we want sustainable productivity, we've got to think about have people taken vacation? Have they taken breaks? Have we minimized working hours so that people can have a rest? Have we given them the ability to be creative and spend some time learning something new? So, so there's a, there's a lot of no regrets moves that span the need to build skills, the need to um, focus on how we're measuring people, um, accelerating your digital journey, um, you know, where relevant, um, and also just in the way that you're managing people, um, to, so that they can kind of bring out bring out their best their best skills. Um, post post vaccine. Um, there could be some, you know, there could be many different kind of ways. So we haven't talked about real estate, but a number of firms are looking at their real estate portfolios to say, will everyone come into an office? Um, different, there's different stats out there from many firms that say it could be anything 
around three to four days a week where people right now are saying they would want to work from home, maybe three days, maybe four days a week. My personal opinion on that is let's give it to 2022 and let's understand where people want to work. Those numbers may slightly change. What we're not going to go to is everyone back to, uh, you know, a in-person five days a week. But again, it might change based on different types of work. It might change based on different personas. Maybe younger people in their first roles will crave being in the office five days a week. And especially if they have a very short commute or a small apartment, and maybe they can cycle to work or walk to work. So um, there's not going to be a one size fits all around the return to the office. And I think we're all in this pre-vaccine and post-vaccine set of set of processes what we're doing is advising our, our clients to say, what is it you can invest in now from a people perspective that's going to put you in a good position in the future, put your people in a good position for their future employability um, and put your business in a good position. Yeah. So it goes back to this idea that you're saying the no regrets. So if you invest in training people in digital skills, you're not going to regret that because digital skills are going to be beneficial to people in the future, regardless of what the future holds. Um, same as well-being. So if you can invest in well-being, if you can encourage people to um, rest and recover, if you can change what, how you look at your business to focus on the outcomes, as you said, rather than the outputs or rather than the inputs or the amount of time that we're spending at work. Um, and then if you can encourage people to be a bit more creative and Creativity hopefully will come from being able to rest and recover and, and recuperate from um, from work and, and getting away from the Zoom meetings and getting away from your desk for a while. Whereas I think previously, I know certainly when I worked in corporate, you're you're kind of at your screen most of the day. You're, you have some in-person meetings and things like that. But for the most part, you are in front of a screen and it's maybe allowing for time to be away from that to whether it's getting out a journal or just handwriting something to get the creative juices flowing. Yeah. Just to add one other thing. So I, I think I've tried to hit this from the, what a businesses need to do. I also think that there's a big onus on individuals to yeah. create their own learning journeys. So if, if you are in a business um, that, is a you know a large a large bank, and you know that the banks are going to shrink because they've made public statements that they're looking at their expense ratios, and you're worried about your job security. There may be other ways that you can learn skills. Maybe it's not about banking, but maybe it's around digital skills, or maybe it's around how you how you run a startup and how you think about entrepreneurial skills or design skills um, around around manufacturing, for example. So there's different there's different skills that individuals can kind of take the lead on, even beyond digital, that could be relevant for them in the future. I think that that the, the bottom line here is um, people are going to be learning through multiple channels. The business, the employer will provide some of that, but there's so many different kind of ways to learn. We've all we've all realized during the pandemic that we've all become, you know, amateur economists, amateur <laughs> Um, health professionals, you yeah. know, understanding government policy and uh, and all, all that types of information, as well as um, our jobs, and we've all understood supply chain and resilience. And so, it's an example of where, when forced into a situation, we as humans adapt and learn very quickly. And again, I would encourage people to think about their own learning journeys. And if you're not getting it from your employer, 
where else can you get that learning experience? That's a really good point. And it's, it, you know, it's about taking this personal responsibility and maybe having you think of, think about the transferable skills that you have. You know, it's just because you've worked in one sector for a long time doesn't mean that you haven't built up a, a set of soft skills or transferable skills that you can use in a different sector that's, that, you know, it has a bit more buoyancy at the moment. Any, any other thoughts on, on the future of work or how, how things have changed or, or any specific areas that we should be focusing on at the moment? Yeah, so a couple of things. Um, one of the things for people newer into the workplace, um, I think that's really important is to understand um, there's no such thing as a single-threaded issue anymore. So you may come into a role and work in the marketing department or in the HR team or the technology team, but if you're not thinking, if you're thinking only tech and only marketing and only people, it's going to be a failure in terms of the outcomes you're trying to create. So um, the people who have the best experiences and the best employability in organizations that I've met in my career are, are the athletes. The people that have a mindset that, that yes, they may be a sort of supply chain professional or a technology professional, but they can think about strategy and business model and product and user experience and they can also think about how do you implement this and how do you get people to adopt it. So really thinking about your experience and whatever you're working on to say, have I thought about the business model dimension, the financial dimension? What are the risks um, to consider? How do I think about the people aspects? Is this thing going to change with some external shock like a pandemic? Is there a relevance to a change in environmental policy or climate? And really getting people to think about that. And, and you don't have to do that all by yourself. You just find people who are smart experts in some of those areas and you surround yourself and you have good conversations. And maybe it's not like pre-pandemic where we could have a conversation over a glass of wine or in the bar or over a cup of coffee. Um, but there's ways that we can take advantage of the lack of distance and, and get on these Zoom calls or find people in your organizations to network with or go onto YouTube and read about a topic. So I just think that's a really important topic for the future, whether you know, you're an entry level or whether you're a CEO, just thinking about these issues in a very broad way um, because everything is connected now, as we talked about earlier. Yeah, so it's, it's nearly like focusing on collaboration and understanding that you're, you're a cog in a grander wheel and having a real understanding of the impact that you can have on the organization or the role that you play as part of this wider conversation or wider organization or wider um, purpose that you're, you're trying to achieve as an organization and, and how you can connect yourself with other people in order to expand that thinking and progress your career, I suppose, by making connections, but also by thinking about the bigger picture of what it is that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And organizations are not good at this historically. Um, we all think as individuals, we're pretty collaborative. We might even think we're quite creative. Um, when we rolled out a survey this summer to over 2,000 um, workers in the US, only a third said they were highly effective. Their, their organizations were highly effective at creativity and collaboration. So even though collaboration has obviously increased um, post-pandemic, it's just had to, in this crisis response, organizations still have a long way to go. And you could, and the listeners are probably all imagining some of their own organizations they've worked at in the past where 
or maybe currently where things are siloed because we're not incented to think broadly about the system and how what we're designing or implementing is connected to the broader. But now I think organizations and individuals are going to have to think about that um, in a much more dynamic way. Yeah. And that was kind of one of the questions I had is, do we teach people or how do you teach people or can you teach people how to have these skills? Like, is it something that you can teach people how, how to be more strategic, how to look at things as part of a, a greater whole? Um, is, it, is it something that you think we can teach and that businesses have a responsibility to teach their, their um, employees how to do this? Um, it's a really good question because I would say it's, it's just the, the environment you need to be in. If I, sur- if I remember my first ever job um, in the UK in Nottingham for a, a, a retail firm, my first ever boss said to me, um, always, re- you know, always challenge everything. Always remember when anyone asks what you, to, um, uh, you to do something to say, what are the objectives and who are the customers for this piece of work? I worked in an internal uh, risk team. And, um, and he said, just, just be comfortable in challenging and asking good questions. So for me, that was the environment that was given to me. And so I, I, I did that as well. And so I, I think it's, it's us being comfortable to ask the right questions, but organizations need to create that environment. So you can create that environment by moving people into different areas and having rotational programs. We as individuals can make that environment by being curious and talking to someone in the manufacturing team or in the product development or the marketing team if we're thinking about this. Um, HR leaders need to get closer to finance leaders to understand how we're modeling out the impacts on workforce changes financially and from a people and a real estate perspective next year. So there are many different examples on this that are both driven by the individual, but also um, the environment you, you you find yourself in. Yeah, that's a really good point about, about creating that environment. And it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, the creating a psychologically safe environment for people to feel that they're, it's okay to ask those questions. It's okay to connect with someone who's not in your department and not only is it okay, but it's almost expected that you would do that as part of your role to be able to drive the business forward. Absolutely. And maybe not just in your own department or your own company anymore. One thing we've increasingly seen is this co-opetition. So banks are talking to other banks around common issues that we don't feel are um, competitively relevant. So lots of banks are benchmarking their diversity practices with other banks. Um, in the same way, I'd encourage people to, to, to form networks or join networks of business professionals, HR professionals um, in their community or in their industry. Um, right now, we could do things in a much more virtual way. So I think there, there's lots of forums for people to learn, network and share. And, and every, everyone has something to share around these types of experiences. Totally. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to share when it comes to thinking about work, how it's changed, what we're doing, any trends that you're seeing at the moment? Yeah, a couple of things, um, because it it only dawned on me at the start of the pandemic that I was so old, (laughs) not just so old, but I'd lived through and worked through a couple of um, economic recessions. And I think that's really important because, you know, our last one was 2008 and many people 
um, were in college there or in high school. I know in, in my own teams. And so I think what's important is to remember um, when you're in a recession, um, when you're kind of in the fog of a crisis, we all think that, you know, things will never go back to the way they were. Things are going to stay this way forever. I think a lot of the things we've talked about on this call, Aoife, the fundamentals of being a good, a good person, asking good questions, checking in with your colleagues, um, being comfortable if you're not getting an experience, whether it's around learning or well-being, that you're pushing for that, mm. um, educating yourself on the financials of your business, um, thinking about things in a systemic, in a systemic way and understanding how dots connect. These are not new skills. These are relevant 50 years ago in business. I think they'll be relevant in 50 years' time. And so really understanding um, those fundamentals of business around customers and people and financials are going to be the same in a few years' time. Yes, we may have different sectors. We will have different technologies. Maybe travel is going to have a virtual reality part of travel as well. Um, maybe we're going to have less mass gatherings in sports stadiums and we're going to engage in our entertainment in different ways. But the fundamentals of business and how we work with technology in new ways in this hybrid workplace, a lot of the fundamentals are still going to be the same. So I just, I wouldn't be so fearful, um, whether it's in our personal lives or our work lives around, around the future. I think if we do some of the things we've talked about on this call, I think people will be um, well prepared, even though, yes, we do have an uncertain future. and We're worried about geopolitics and we're worried about the state of the economies in our, in our countries and what is it doing to our children and the lack of kind of in-person in schooling. Um, th this, this too will pass, mm. um, just like the financial crisis did, just like the dot-com um, bubble crisis did, just like when our parents were growing up and and experience different forms of, of economic hardship or racial integration or whatever challenges that they were dealing with. So I am, I am an optimist in that area. Maybe that's just that's part of uh, what I do for, to, to kind of convince myself. But I think it's really important for us all as consumers, as parents, as workers, to demonstrate some of that confidence because we will get through this. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Um, you, you did say a couple of things. Was there anything else that you wanted to add to that? Now, and then the, my final point I would say is that we've taken this from a business and employee perspective. Mm. Um, we cannot succeed without businesses and us as individuals trying to influence other stakeholders. So I spend a lot of time with um, institutions like the, the T20 and the World Economic Forum on task forces where we as a business community are trying to influence topics like worker productivity, like reskilling, like the creation of good jobs, um, and so it's really important as, as you think about what you're doing in a company to say, if, if I need to influence a policymaker at a local level or at a national level around one of these topics, whether it's well-being or productivity or systemic racism, how can I do that? How can I use my platform as an employee in a company to work with my leadership to do that? Um, how can I influence the education system if we've said, some of this, you know, some of this might be a challenge from the education system. How can we get better collaboration with training colleges, with high schools around some of these business ready skills? So, so thinking about all the other stakeholders beyond your company and your own customers um, that you can influence in, in doing this, because everything we've talked about today is for the betterment of society 
and business. And then those two things were obviously uh, interlinked. Absolutely. And interesting that that kind of prompts a a memory. I was on, um, it reminds me of a call that I was on earlier about gender balance and gender equality and the impact that that's having. And, you know, talking about influencing like what they were saying was we we need to get women into STEM, but it's from a from a young age. So we need to work with schools, school age women or school age girls and get them thinking about more STEM type of subjects. It's not just about when women join those organizations, we need to make sure that they get to, to the ranks. We need to kind of start like at the very basic level. So I really liked what you have to say about using your influence and your platform to be able to think about, and it is, it's it's kind of not just thinking about within within your own business. It's, it's going back to what you said about thinking about the, the wider networks that you can create and you can make and the influence that you can have at, um, at that level. So that's definitely given me some food for thought in terms of what I can do as an individual to, to drive the kind of change that I would like to see in the world. So um, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so the question that I ask for everyone who comes on the podcast is what makes you happier at work? It makes me happy when I'm challenged on something that is absolutely meaningful. So it doesn't make me happy when somebody says, can you develop this report for me? Because I need to have a nice shiny report on the latest analysis of our of us against external HR trends. It's much more meaningful when it's we've got this real big business business problem that's linked to our purpose. We need some help with a, some market intelligence. We need your ideas on how to implement this. What value do we create? And so, it, just like anyone, I want to be I want to be happy at work. I want to bring my best at work. So, what makes me happy is when I'm challenged. And the problem becomes multidisciplinary and I get to start seeing with my teams and my clients and and other counterparties kind of where that's going to be implemented as opposed to just developing shelfware or virtual shelfware um, that never gets implemented. So, again, and I don't think that's changed from when I started working 25 years ago. Yeah, the difference between producing something for the sake of kind of ticking a box nearly versus having a, a problem that needs to be solved and working with other people through to solving that problem. Absolutely. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today, Bushan. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I've taken three pages of notes to go through. So really, really, we covered an awful lot of ground today. And I think you have some really great practical tips to share with listeners as well. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you for everything you're doing for the community. This is great. And I and I hope to see you in New York sometimes or, yes. du- or Dublin sometime yeah, soon. Absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. Go for a glass of wine or a cup of coffee or something like that. Fingers crossed it's New York. Sounds wonderful. That was Bushan Sethi, all about various things that are going to impact on the future of work. Um, As you might be able to tell, that was recorded a few months ago, right in the middle of the American election. Obviously, things have moved on since then, and we have since had an announcement of vaccines as well that are being rolled out globally. So uh, just wanted to call that out, first of all.
I'm going to do a very quick roundup of some of the key points that were made as well during the conversation. So the first one really that stands out is the health and well-being of employees, including mental health, has really moved up pretty high on the agenda of all business leaders. And it's it's kind of no longer this taboo subject that people are not willing to talk about and people are being vulnerable. They're being open and they're building a level of authenticity and a level of trust within their organizations as well. We also touched on this idea of outcomes versus inputs or or even outputs. So focusing very much on the quality of what it is that you're delivering, making sure that that relates back to the purpose of the organization and what the organization is trying to achieve at a very top line level. And this has come up time and time again on the podcast as such a really interesting topic, because I think we tend to focus on this idea of I was so busy because I worked X number of hours. You know, I worked 10 hours today, therefore I was so busy. But if that busyness is not related to what it is that you're trying to achieve in the business, then actually that was a little bit of a waste of time. And I'm trying to shift my own language towards more productivity. So productivity to me means focusing on those areas that are really important to my business and making sure that I focus my time properly like that. We spoke about role modeling of leadership. And again, this is something that I'm not sure whether I've necessarily spoken about it openly on the podcast, but it's definitely something that I've had conversations about where it's really up to leadership to demonstrate those behaviors that they're trying to have in the organization. So by being authentic, by being vulnerable themselves, they are creating this environment of trust and psychological safety, which again comes up again and again on the podcast. I was really interested to learn about the discussions that they had at PwC and external to, to PwC with clients as well on systemic racism. Um, definitely something that organizations need to talk a little bit more about. It's not just an America problem. He mentioned that really talking is the starting point of getting the ball rolling and that a good leader unites people, brings people together. I really liked this idea of the four different no regrets areas. So the Bouchan described them as the no regrets areas. So the first one was reskilling, especially around digital skills. And it, it kind of got me thinking back to when I was in corporate and all of the things that I've learned since setting up the business that I could now apply to that business because as a sole trader, you need to be that little bit more agile. You need to really know what systems are exist that are out there that you can apply to you know, improving how things are done, improving efficiency, improving productivity and being able to better connect with your customers. The second area then was around well-being, specifically taking that time for rest and recovery. And there is that temptation at the moment that, you know, if the laptop is there beside you, oh, you, you can just check emails before you go to bed. Or if you don't have a separate designated place to work, you know, it's it's being able to work all of the time, essentially, without really switching off, but give yourself that time to rest, to recuperate. The third area then was around measures. And this goes back to this idea of productivity and looking to measure outcomes rather than inputs or outputs. So it's focusing on those outcomes that you're trying to achieve as a business. And what steps did you take towards achieving those outcomes in a given day, in a given week, in a given month? 
The fourth area then is creativity. And this ties in with the idea of taking and allowing yourself that time to rest, to recuperate so that you can, you know, build up your energy again to to get a bit more creative. Maybe it's moving away from the laptop for a second, pull out a pen and paper and start jotting things down, go out for a walk and have a talk, walk and talk meeting. One of the key points is that there is no one size fits all. So the the outcome of what's happening at the moment is is going to and has already impacted on different industries in very, very different ways. I liked this idea of individuals creating their own learning journeys. So have a look at yourself, take responsibility for yourself and have a look at what transferable skills you have, what digital skills you have, what entrepreneurial skills you have. Focusing very much on the bigger picture and how people collaborate with each other, co-opetition with other organizations, taking a few different departments and really trying to understand how you can work together or what is the impact. The example that was used was HR and finance. So what is the impact of COVID on the the finance side of things, but also on the HR side of things and and how they impact on one another. He used this specific phrase that I really liked was understanding how dots connect. And he said it's a skill that has been around for years and years and is likely to continue to be around. So really grasping an understanding of how the business works, the bigger picture will stand to anyone That is it for this week's episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation between myself and Bhushan. If you have any questions, if you want to get involved in the discussion, there's always a discussion over on social media. Feel free to send me an email, reach out directly. You can find me on my website, happieratwork.ie, across multiple social social media channels as well. Just search for happieratwork.ie. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love if you could rate or review the podcast or share it with a friend. You'll find me on the website happieratwork.ie.